0: everybody welcome back to another episode of the Fearcast. this is the podcast dedicated to ocd anxiety anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back i'm your host kevin foss and uh, i'm a licensed therapist specializing in ocd and anxiety therapy uh so uh, uh welcome everybody to the show for those of you who are new to the show, this is a question and answer based podcast where you can send me questions about OCD and anxiety treatment, and uh, I will likely uh, put it up on a future episode. So uh, if you would like a question uh, answered on a future episode, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com and click on the submit a question link there. Um, and now, if you would like to cut the line of the backlog of questions, you can submit an audio question. There are a number of different ways that you can go about doing that. Best ways to 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 record it into your phone or record it into Google Drive or Google or whatever app that you have. And send me a copy of the, the a link to it. Uh, this was recently done by another listener, and that will go up on a next episode. Um, but uh, uh, you can record yourself a- a- asking your question, uh, and it will go up on a future episode. Um, and the most the, the the next episode that I have. So um, again, everybody who has asked a question, thank you so much for sending them in. Um, we, we've got a ton of questions, and uh, it just um, just means that this podcast gets to keep going on a little bit longer so this uh this episode is going to be a little bit different we are diverting uh from that format and, and continuing on for the uh in the uh, arts in the inks or excuse me Anxiety in the Arts series. So for this episode, um, I was able to have um, a, a very talented tattoo artist named Rick Fitzwater. So he has joined me for this episode to talk about his work, talk about how he got into tattooing, how he has dealt with anxiety throughout all of it. Um, and and uh, specifically, some of the stuff that he does, that has been helpful in in uh, in dealing with um, in dealing with anxiety or doubt or uncertainty or just questions uh, about his own skill um, and and um, what I love about having this conversation is gosh when we think about having anxiety at the work that we do you know we we can kind of talk ourselves out of of it quote being a problem or. Um, you know, like uh, I, you know, I, I can always fix it. Or you know, if, there, if there's a problem somewhere, you know, like my my boss will catch it, or my supervisor, my coworker, my manager will catch it, and they'll kind of they'll, they'll let me know. Um, but but gosh, me me talking to Rick about um, doing tattoo work, I was thinking, man, if, if there's an error, it's there. He's tattooing people. This is permanent stuff, right? So I, I I know very well that I just can't I, I would never be a tattoo artist I don't know about any of you but uh, 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 but I'm glad that there are folks like Rick out there who are uh, who are doing this work so it, this was a fantastically fun episode. Um, I, I learned a ton about what um, what goes into tattooing what goes into the process into the education into the the day-to-day work of what it means to be a tattoo artist. Um, some of it I ha- I think has dispelled some misconceptions that I had um it, it's also um, the, the, and I'll say this about not just the, certainly the conversation with Rick but in, in every job that I learn about, it, it dispels some misconceptions that I have and makes me have so much more respect and so much, so much more respect for the person, for the, for the job uh, that that person has, um, but, but also an understanding of the stress, stressors, pressures that go into it. And, and, and for the vast majority of people, gosh, just how much training and thought and effort and talent goes into doing that job. That is that is the case here with my conversation uh, with with Rick. Now I'll say this from the very top: um, there is uh, there is a lot of profanity in this episode. So if you are someone who is uncomfortable with profanity, um, you can just go ahead and skip this one. But uh, if you are not, um, there there was no reasonable way for me to edit it all out. So um, uh, so I'm I'm leaving it all in unedited. So if you are squeamish, I'm sorry, um, but uh, this this is who rick is and he uh he expressed himself in the way that uh, he saw fit and and let's be honest sometimes with our pirate language it's the best and only way that we can that we have to describe the situation that we're in so um so there there's a warning on that but let me tell you a little bit about rick before we jump into the episode rick is a tattoo artist with twisted love tattoo collective in jupiter florida when he is not tattooing you can find him painting or deep sea fishing so without further ado Here's my interview with Rick. All right, Rick, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast.
1: No problem. We to be here.
0: Absolutely. Well, um, we were just talking about uh, what what you do and uh, and how you do it. But if you could just share with um, listeners a little bit about you, what you do, and uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll launch off from there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Alright, my name is Rick, I'm a tattoo artist out here in Jupiter, Florida, I um, work at a shop called Twisted Love Tattoos, it's uh, been doing it for the last two years that I've been in Florida, last probably collective eight on and off, um, completed my apprenticeship in 2008 and volleyed between tattooing and trades and finally decided tattooing was the way to go and absolutely adore it, every second of it. So.
0: Uh, that, that's awesome. Well, t- tell me a little bit about what, um, so I, I see that you've got a bunch of, uh, so I guess the listeners can't hear this. You have a bunch of art behind you. I assume this is work that you've done?
1: Yes. Yeah, I picked up a paintbrush before I picked up a tattoo machine, so it's just been a logical progression.
0: I was going to say, could you share a little bit about how you how you got into that or what what got you started with your interest in doing ar- uh, visual art and how it progressed into tattooing?
1: um i've always been kind of a loner and so when all the kids go play basketball or some team sport and stuff like that you know lunch or recess or whatever i'd kind of cruise around and sit down underneath a tree and draw landscapes or i'd be insanely in class and doodling the margins so i've always been moving ink or graphite around on pieces of paper since i was a little kid and then um I uh, went to UC Santa Barbara and started majoring in things that I wasn't really interested in again. And so, you know, I'd pick up a, a general ed class where, you know, they touched on either Rembrandt or Michelangelo, but ever so briefly, but I would see those images and go and look them up and print them out. And then I would use those as reference for my doodles in business econ, you know, things you should have paid attention to. but. Um, yeah, so um, I, my drawing's kind of taken off. I have a better understanding of it and, you know, college is the time that kids get out from under their parents' wings but still have mommy and daddy's credit cards, so they start dabbling around in light body modification, you know, the basic piercings and some really cool tattoos for when you were like 18, you know, you got the biohazard sign and Yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I hung out with a bunch of kids who were not visually art or artistically inclined. And so, you know, they'd always drop comments like, oh man, you know, I have all these ideas for this cool sleeve. This guy's going to slap on me and he's going to do it out of his garage. Yeah, yeah. yeah so i was always the one who would pipe up for a little side hustle money you know i'll draw it out for you you just give me your ideas and i'll slap it out we'll go back and forth until you find something you like and then you know you shoot me 80 bucks for the design and then go have Josh schmo or whoever's gonna do it go tattoo it on you and you know they come back pumped up on life and the tattoo would look like dog shit and you know whatever i got my beer money and we go out and pray and so you know i'm telling my parents this i'm telling them my sister this and um, my parents have always had a business-oriented uh, minds and so you know they said why are you settling for peanuts when you, you can get the whole tree and so you know I finally I fought the uh, I've got being I fought the anxiety of being culpable for permanently marking people's bodies um, you know I it wasn't for me you know, I didn't want to be held accountable for potentially blowing somebody's skin
0: mm-hmm
1: and I fought it for a while, I fought it for a while, and um, I ended up going into a local tattoo shop with one of my friends who brought me to her artists for my first tattoo. And he was a really rad dude, and um, I, you know, we parted ways, and about six months later, I finally started getting the itch and started sniffing around shops, and I got shut down like 10, 15 times, just anywhere from not looking for it right now to a stone cold get the fuck out of my shop. So I finally reached out to this dude because, you know, my friend, I'd been tattooed by him and he was friends with my friend. and So I said, yeah, man, you know, I've, I've been shut down a lot. I'm looking to get into the industry. I was wondering if you'd help me out about that. And um, he told me to bring my portfolio by. And so I brought it by the next day. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I started hanging around, cleaning up the shop, scrubbing tubes for him. And then, then it was a, turned into a full-blood apprenticeship.
0: That's bonkers. So so, yeah. so, so to give people an idea about, um, about what an apprenticeship looks like. So I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about, you know, how people get into tattooing and, and what it, what it, what it takes to then become a tattoo artist. Um, so what did you have to do to get to that place?
1: Um, I did a traditional apprenticeship um, since I started mine and have successfully completed it. There have been the implementation into modern society of these quote tattoo schools where you pay an ungodly amount of money and you get classroom time, which is fantastic. You get all, a lot of theory and tattooing is a lot of theory, color theory, um, basic physics on how the needle impacts the skin, enters the skin, uh, abuses the skin how the pigments sit, where the pigments sit, all that fun stuff. So um, you get all of this in a classroom setting, but you never get the hands-on experience of tracing a rose 300 times to get the muscle memory up. You don't get the um, quote-upon-quote hazing or abuse that will lead you into (laughs) being able to survive in any tattoo shop, because it is kind of a different world. If you don't have thick skin, you ain't gonna last. But, um, again, you know, these offered tattoo schools, you get all this theory, but you don't get hands-on approach to figure out what's too deep, what's not deep enough, how to pull a nice, clean line, how to bold a line. You know, you just, it's like telling a kid how to measure and handing him a tack hammer and saying, okay, you're a carpenter now. Good luck. Right. So, true apprenticeship is you are basically this dude's right hand and left hand and feet for about... A year to a year and a half depending mm-hmm. on you know your learning curve and his ability to teach so my day began i'd walk into the shop after my nine to five to make money because apprenticeships are unpaid. and addressing that you know you are being given a life skill that you can go anywhere in this world and set up shop immediately and you're golden as right. long as you're good at it. right um so
0: it's a big uh, gift
1: yeah that's the trade-off is you are somebody's bitch for quite a while Mm -hmm. so my day would start i'd get off my nine to five i'd walk straight in i'd go into the back into what's called a clean room or a dirty room they're used interchangeably it's where you scrub all the biohazard back then it was the steel tubes that guide the needles and attach to the machine Mm -hmm. um or the piercing tools um receiving tubes he
0: You uh, you, you, you froze up. I don't know if you can hear me.
1: Just forceps and hemostaps and receiving students and all that fun stuff. And then um, I'd stick them all in the autoclave, and that's a sterilization agent. And then I'd go say hi to everybody. And then um, whatever my mentor needed, if he was about to tattoo, I would be in charge of sizing the image, burning stencil. Um, setting him up, which entails, you know, wrapping his tray, wrapping the either the tattoo chair or the body table, whatever he was using, Um, wrapping everything. When he was done, I would take down everything and sterilize the entire station. Um, If he was hungry, I'd go run across the street or down the street or wherever the hell he was hungry for, and I'd buy him dinner. Um, Halfway through my apprenticeship, he got a wet and reckless, and he got his driver's license revoked. so I was responsible for driving from my house in Galita up to Montecito to pick him up, which is about a 20 minute drive for your listeners who have no idea where we're um, <laughs> right. And then another 20 minute drive back to the shop to get him to work on time, go through all my apprentice details during, at the shop during the day. And then when it was time to close up, um, I would take his ass home 20 miles in the opposite direction of my house and then 20 miles uh, to my awesome. house. <laughs> so Gosh. whatever your mentor <laughs> needs, um, hopefully he has a heart. Um, you know, my mentor would tip me out if he had good days because he was new. You know, I was barely scraping by. Um, sometimes mentors are just absolute complete assholes and teach treat their apprentices like trash and just abuse them, thinking it's a rite of passage when it should. Right. But um, you know, long-winded reply in a nutshell. Basically, an apprenticeship is a way of paying for the trade that you are being taught. So you work for free and, you know, or you could go to that tattoo school for 10 grand and learn almost absolutely nothing but theory.
0: Right. So, right, man, I, I, that's, um, it's certainly an education for me to hear kind of how that whole process <laughs> goes. Cause again, I don't think, it, I don't think I know anybody who would be able to tell me that. How, how you get to become that I think it also illustrates <clears throat> How much work, how much time How much dedication goes into doing this thing So that you know exactly what to do How to do it um, In the most Correct sort of way mm-hmm. but, so, but one of the things you also had said so in it, Well actually I'll say this then So you went through that whole process And then you've been tattooing from that time You said for about 8 years uh, On and off Online. I traded
1: it trade uh, in the trades doing HVLP painting, painting cars, um, industrial painting, stuff like that. Because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the tattooing industry doesn't come with benefits. And every so often, you know, I like to get my teeth cleaned and my uh, eyes checked.
0: Crazy. So I would
1: volley back and forth between tattooing and the trades.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Do, do you and still have...
1: So, um, but honestly, on a side note, on a professional note, tattooing is not like riding a bike. So when you slack off and do something else for, you know, a year or two years... You can't slide right back into tattooing as you were. You don't have the practice, the confidence, and this industry just changes mechanically and artistically at light years at a time. So right. I was doing myself actually a great disservice going back and forth when I should have just grounded out. But, um, every in answer to your question, every day, day to day, as my career for the past two years.
0: Okay. Okay. So. One of the things you had said earlier is that you you were you were fighting getting into tattooing because you're you're nervous anxious about you know per- permanently marring somebody. I think that was I don't know if that's the ver- verbs you use, but I guess tell tell me about that that worry that you had and and what it took for you to overcome that to eventually essentially talk yourself into doing it.
1: Um, I had reservations because. You know i've always heard there's always that movie with the biker who gets a tattoo that's fucked up and the biker goes and beats somebody well you know we watch those movies when we we're kids and then eventually you grow up and if you start hanging around the kind of guys that i was hanging around you hear stories oh man this guy kind of just blew out this line and it looks like dog shit i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna put, put a lock in a sock and come find him and you know i was hanging out with a bunch of bikers i was designing tattoos for him i didn't want to piss him off i didn't want you know. If I was the one to fuck that tattoo up on the wrong cat, you know, there's still people in that world that would come find you because you had a bad day. Mm -hmm. And so finally, one day I actually, you know, I went to go get my tattoo and I paid, you know, standard tattoo rates at that time. And I was astonished Mm -hmm. because, I mean, there's a lot of money is tattoo artists generally split whatever they charge, whatever they get for that tattoo in total, they split it 50-50 with the shop. Mm Mm-hmm. So they'll usually kind of kick up standard prices to cover, get them a little bit more loot. But anyway, um, when it came to my decision, it was just, I love drawing, the world disappears. It didn't matter what the fuck was going on. If I was getting crappy grades or in trouble for smoking pot or shit like that, I can always escape with a pencil or a pen. And so I, I had to know that, you know, tattooing would have been the same and or better because now I was getting paid for it, so whoa really made me get into it was a i could be an artist all day every day and be money right and it comes down to living that dream of you don't work a day in your life if you do what you love
0: right so fair enough so i mean yeah i can imagine that's a a, a big turn off the idea of uh, messing up somebody's lines and yeah getting hit with a lock yeah. Do you? I mean, were those were those stories, or were those based on evidence? Like, is that is that you know oh, just oh, yeah, fu- stories? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay. So, uh, so as you're so as as you're tattooing, I guess how how has how has it been for you to actually then put you know, I don't know, pencil to paper as it were, put you know what ne- needle to skin about. Uh, kind of managing that thought of actually messing somebody up because how has that been going what have you actually found
1: a lot of it has to do with my mentor I got lucky he was uh, a friend he became a good friend um, but he was very supportive Mm -hmm. in as you know the tattoo industry isn't all you know unicorns and pillows we don't oh it's you look great today no he was supportive in the fact that I had addressed these fears to him and because he was, you know, I had been doing it for like nine months and he's real pressuring me. It's time for you to start tattooing. It's time for you to start your journey. And I straight up told him I'm freaked out because I'm worried I'm going to screw somebody up. And he looked at me and he laughed a little bit. And he goes, bro, you're going to fuck people up. It's, it's just inevitable. You're learning something that you've never done before. You're going to do it. But you do it on friends, man. You tell them that. And this is what I told him guys that let me start on them. There will be a select few that will get free tattoos for the rest of their life because you are going to...
0: Oh, uh, hold on. Audio cut out. I don't know if you can hear me, but I can't hear you at all.
1: i need to tattoo them for my first couple tattoos. We're supportive in the fact that they also as I progressed, allowed me to try things that pushed my limits.
0: Tell me about that. Tell me about, uh, can you you tell a story about one of those er early tattoos? What was that? What was that like to, you know, talk to one of your friends, talk him into doing it and take that risk?
1: Um, my first couple were not that stressful. Honestly, it was on one of my best friends who later became my brother-in-law and it ended up falling out completely. So, but he was always gung ho, push the envelope. Let's go! I want to be your first. I want to be your first. Yada yada yada. So that one wasn't really stressful because it was of the relationship of my quote client. Um, I do remember the one that <laughs> this is a story I actually still tell to some of my apprentices. But um, it was done my other best friend at the time. I had been tattooing for probably about six months, um, not professionally. This was all at um, when my apprenticeship came to a close. Um, we parted ways for whatever personal reasons. So I was effectively tattooing out of the garage, but I was still affiliated with the shop sterilizing my equipment. So it was mm-hmm.
0: weird.
1: But anyway, um, my goal at that time and still to this day was to become a photorealistic artist, and um, I only knew that term because I got really lucky. I hooked up with, or I didn't hook up with one. I um, I got a tattoo spot. To be tattooed at the Ventura Tattoo Convention by this up-and-rising star, who is now a huge titan in the industry. But um, his style was photorealism, so portraits, um, realistic animals, but all with surrealistic color patterns, and um, really stellar artists. So that was the direction I wanted to take my tattooing, and so my buddy, who you know, I had known him since college. It was a ten-year friendship, and. Um, he said that uh, he wanted a realistic great white shark, and it was right around you know the time of uh, shark week, and he'd been drinking heavily, and it w- it was a great combination for me. <laughs> so um, he want- He wanted one of those sharks breaching on the Australian reef, you know, breaching on a seal, and all that fun shit. And sure. I was experienced enough to know that all that detail can't be done in a tattoo the size he wanted it to be done and that's for technical reasons that we can touch on later but anyway i talked him into this bitchin photo it was uh, a great white mouse slightly open and it had all the sun rays on his back so he had a camel pattern on his back and then the blue on the bottom so we were both stoked on it and so the day came we went out the night before we got smashed it was great So I woke up at like 7 a.m. And I've got like seven different copies of this fucking shark out. I've got, all of them are stenciled. I'm like cross-eyed and upside down from stenciling all those freaking light rays seven times.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Nobody was up because they were all still passed out. So I make a pot of coffee, a whole pot. Mm -hmm. And nobody's up. So I'm sitting there studying these stencils, studying my color reference, studying my black and gray reference, getting ready. And I look over and I have drank two-thirds of this pot of coffee. Awesome. So I am spun like a rubber chicken and I'm freaking out. I'm getting like these phases where I got this. I got this. Holy shit. That's a lot of detail and that's a lot of color blending and not a lot of size. It's like ah, oh, dude, what did I bite off?
0: You started getting so into your I head.
1: screw up this guy for the rest of his life. I mean, it's uh-huh. an eight-inch, it's like an eight or a nine-inch shark on his rib cage. So he's going to be hating life because the ribs suck ass to get tattooed. Am I gonna screw this up? Is it gonna come out like, what's it gonna look like? Is it gonna look like a salamander? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. You studied for this, you got this. Uh-huh. Now, you, color theory, you've been reading, you've been studying, you you went to, you know, this is what you, you trained for. I got this. And it's about an hour and a half of this, just up and down, and up and down, and up and down. And finally he opens his door. I was like, yes, man, let's go. I'm ready. I got a pot of coffee made. I've also drank two thirds of it. Let's go. And I'm like vibrating. Uh Almost trying not to turn into just pure energy at that moment. I have so much (laughs) caffeine. And he goes, "Oh man, we're all gonna go to Cody's for breakfast." I was like, "Fuck, that's like a four-hour breakfast." And I was like, "I can't, I can't, I can't hold still. I have got too much coffee in me, and I have too fucking stressed about your ribs. We're supposed to tattoo.
0: We're doing this or not?"
1: yeah so they go to breakfast and i have four more hours to go up and down and up and down and up and down and so finally i just got out I, I left everything on the counter and i just went for a walk around the block i came back and uh you know he was there everybody was ready and we slapped stencil on i started tattooing and man five hours later it's still one of my better earlier color pieces yeah but uh, yeah man that uh, the pot of coffee didn't help but That was my first real, like, battle with, oh, shit. And, you know, the ensuing up and down and kind of calming myself down and then having it shoot out of control.
0: It was funny to look
1: back on, but it was not fun at the time.
0: Right, right. I mean, (laughs) that, uh, I I was so worried that that story was going to (laughs) go (laughs) south. No, no, it didn't. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, from from that experience, what what have what did you then take to your future? I guess how do how do you use that story for your apprentices and also how has that that affected the way that you kind of prepare for future tattooing?
1: Um Well, in the immediate aftermath of that, it would kind of serve as a rudimentary calming method for me is to recognize it and address it with you know whatever points of confidence that i have from the training i was given Mm -hmm. and all the theory that i've accumulated and all that fun stuff um but you know other than that i i tell my apprentices all the time start small work up and then keep a couple friends you know close friends close to you for when you want to push the boundaries because if you don't push the boundaries and this is actually unless you have another question I've got a more recent story where um, kind of the same thing happened but it did push my boundaries but anyway um, I tell my apprentices that you know you always have to build confidence you have to tattoo every day and if you don't I mean you're working backwards on yourself hmm. but if you tattoo every day you'll build a confidence where all of a sudden certain things that you do on a day-to-day basis you don't have that hiccup or that reservation in the fact that you're tattooing somebody for life. Um, You know, I'm the only walk-in artist for my shop. And um, so I get the majority of, you know, whatever's in vogue right now. So right now, it's infinity signs with insanely little lettering inside of one of the curbs or the standard names, butterflies and hearts. So I've just gotten so damn good at it because that's all I've done for the past two years, minus a couple of, you know, the friends that I bring that let me do cool shit on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all money making things, but I really don't think twice about it because it's a name. I.e. It's an equation that I've already set in motion and memorized so many freaking times and done it backwards, forwards, left, right, upside down, and, you know, right, right. side up that it doesn't it doesn't phase me that I'm marking somebody for life. Now it's all about the experience that I can give them because probably about 80% of the people the walk-ins that we get are first timers. Right. So nobody wants a shitty, my first tattoo story. They want, you know, I want to give them and we're structured, you know, we're in a more affluent neighborhood and town and it's a bitch and shop. Um, so I want to be able to give people, you know, a fantastic, just even if it's their first and only I want that to be a positive experience that they're gonna to want to really tell the story. So that doesn't bother me anymore. It's when things walk in where I want to snatch them up because um, I'm in a photorealistic shop. Black, one's a black and gray and one's color, both of the owners, the co-owners. Okay. And so um, the only way that I really get to push my my trade and my skill level is to tattoo you know, my friends mm-hmm. or clients that have an idea and money's not that much of an issue Mm -hmm. because you know bigger more intricate detailed tattoos take longer which waste more money right but anyway um so every so often i'll have to feel the walk-in that will go outside of what i'm comfortable with like my black and gray game is not as comfortable as my color game just because of the way that you know i got into it my mentor was color-based and i didn't really have anybody to teach me Black and gray, and there's definitely an approach and a tactic to it, Mm -hmm. just like there is in color. I just never learned it, so I shied away from black and gray because I didn't want to be that guy to give somebody a crappy black and gray tattoo. Right. But you know, as my walk-ins necessitated it more and more, and I got to shade, you know, three-dimensional hearts and all that fun shit in black and gray. My black and gray got smoother and lighter and more photorealistic. So practiced it. I was kind of using the walk-ins, all the leeway that I could squeeze out of them to give me a challenge. And then all of a sudden, you know, my two boys are tattooed, and somebody walks in, so I go in to greet him. And he's an older uh, ex Navy vet, and he wanted a full sleeve black and gray of you know all of these memorable you know um, naval insignias. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, I'm not a huge Navy guy, but. Anyway, um anchors and obviously a compass and a row, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah, but yeah. he wanted the whole sleeve in black and gray. And so I didn't make a hiccup, you know. I explained to him the process of how a sleeve is compiled and executed, and basically took his deposit and said, Yeah, man, I got this. And I was eh, proverbially speaking, um crapping a brick mm-hmm. because I've never done full I've never done a full black and gray sleeve. I've done chunks of them. Mm-hmm. Not half sleeves, but never a full one and that's always you know kind of a mile marker in your careers is first sleeve first torso first back piece first throat Uh. and so he looked at my work on my instagram which is always you know unfiltered and all that fun shit so Mm -hmm. he looked at my work and he was like yeah man, let's do it and so he gave me a little confidence which i passed on to myself and i was like yeah and so i started pulling reference that day Mm um Another thing is um, tattoos in certain areas have caused me major anxiety. <laughs> um, we'll skip over my my favorite one from Hollywood Boulevard in California Street Shop. But um, I've had some, certain clients in the body of modification industry have a desire to modify certain parts of their body, we'll say. We'll say. There is a different tact and approach and execution for let's say genital tattoos where it's possible but you're walking a really really thin line Mm -hmm. technically from where the ink needs to be placed in the skin and what's too deep and may cause nerve damage they don't teach that in your standard apprenticeship
0: i can't imagine Right.
1: (laughs) So, um, when a client walks in with a lot lot of good money and they say, I want this tattooed, have you done these before? If you say no, 100% of the time, people are going to go, okay, and walk away. Right. Because they want somebody who's done it before. Well, in the tattooing industry, there's only one way to, uh, let's say, practice in those areas, and that's on yourself. Mm -hmm. So... Some of the crazy decisions I've made in the past have been, you know, beneficial to my my trade and uh-huh. my skill. So when you say yes, have you done them before? Yes. They say, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then you become one of the select few people that actually knows how to properly execute that without screwing anybody's afterlife up. Sure. Um, so... I've done certain areas that I'm familiar with tattooing because I was the only one who would do it. So, you know, that became a, hey, I'm looking for this guy because he does this. Okay. A lot of guys get a reputation for their black and gray or their color. And where I was and what I was willing to do for the money was, you know, I got a reputation for tattooing now. So fast forward 10 years to present day, Mm -hmm. actually two weeks ago, a woman walks in and um, well put together older, uh, probably not older, but like, 45, mid 40s, um, beautiful woman. And she walks in and she has an air of confidence. A lot of people who you don't walk in and you don't see visible tattoos look kind of meager because they it's their first time in a tattoo shop or they're scared, you know, mm-hmm. all the stereotypes and all that crap. Right. So she has an air of confidence around her, but no visible tattoos. And she walks up and she's very soft spoken. And I have a little light in hearing. So she had to get kind of close because she wouldn't speak up. And she goes, can I kind of have a, you know, an odd request. So, well, what is it? You know, I tattooed almost everything. You're not going to shock me. I've been in this industry way too long. Mm-hmm. And she gets up close and she whispers. She goes, "I want my nipples pigmented, because this, that, and the other thing." She was a very, very, very blonde woman, and I guess that uh, part of the body is a little uh, on the ghostier side. Okay. Anyway, she wanted me to um, make them a little pinker and darker and shade them and make them look realistic sure and while i've tattooed over them in the past in you know designs and chest pieces and full side panels and stuff like that i've never actually pigmented them and there's a sect of the tattoo industry that does um full three-dimensional um nipples that they tattoo over mastectomy
0: reconstructive tattoos yes yeah
1: Um, so that's in my head, um, the anxiety of never having tattooed, um, basically that's an aesthetic tattoo. It's like cosmetic tattooing, Mm -hmm. eyeliner, and I've never done that before.
0: Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, I've
1: done enough face tattoos, but I've never done like blush or or anything like that. And that in and of itself again is a different art because the needle depth and the application, all the pigments.
0: it's a whole whole different style it sounds like sorry it's a whole different style it sounds like
1: yes so add that to the fact that uh you know i've always known that region and women is always a little bit more sensitive and um it's new territory for me so yeah obviously the anxiety peaks what happens the woman rolls up to make the appointment in a brand new x7 so she's got money Mm-hmm. if i blow this she's gonna go she's gonna destroy the release and come after me personally in a lawsuit you know anything's possible in this industry um even though you know they sign releases a liability and stuff if you're well connected enough money to throw it a lawyer shred that thing in a second mm mm-hmm. So, of course, I take the appointment because it's a tattoo. I mean, I can't let this get into my head or I'm going to sit stagnant. I want to grow in my tattooing ability. So I take the appointment and, man, I'm on the Internet for a week, sweating bullets, researching, you know, reconstructive tattooing and approaches and researching all these giants that I follow for their standard tattoos who do Repigmentation and reconstructive surgery. I'm mm-hmm. following them, trying to get, you know, any kind of information that they did in an interview or comments or this and that. And I'm sweating bullets, and day comes. Um, I get there early. I set up. I'm back and forth in and out of my head, you know, trying to just suppress it like it was a bad acid trip or something where you try to control it instead of fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pacing and All of a sudden, it dawns on me that that part of the body is used to nurse, you know, children. And it's made from the factory, quote, upon quote, to get beat up and abused because kids don't care. They just want milk. Right. They're not, you know, being any kind of gentle. So the part of the body was designed to take abuse. I'm not doing a full three dimensional rendering of that natural body part. I'm just adding color, augmenting what's already there. I'm not reconstructing it. I'm not reshaping it. Yeah. And so I thought about that and I was like, this is just another tattoo. It's just on a different part of the body. I haven't tattooed before. There's Mm -hmm. no reason to get all freaked out.
0: Right. And
1: then I started freaking out about matching the color. Oh, my God. Well, you know, do I have the right color in my skin tone sets? Oh, shit. Oh, man. Everything just immediately flew back into the wind. And then I sat down and did the same thing. I remembered that I studied the color wheel for a reason. I studied the relationship of colors and hues and tints and tones. And if worse comes to worse, I can mix it off the tip of the needle like I do with most of my other colors in, you know, you see a photorealistic portrait, it's got nine skin tones in it. Mm -hmm. You don't perceive all of them, but most of them are mixed off the tip. They're a combination of two or more of the existing inks that came out of the the bottle right so you know i talk myself down again it's just basic logic you do this all the time with different colors why is one tone set going to be different
0: and that's Mm -hmm. skin tones
1: you just look at what's there and in your mind add a couple pigments of a different shade and figure out where you need to be and then it becomes a proverbial math problem right what percentage of this color on top of what percentage of that color do i need to achieve the result Right. And then it was just execution. It's just brush it in like you would a standard tattoo. If you were shading black and gray.
0: Mm-hmm. It sounds like you had to kind of catch yourself going you know, going down the rabbit hole of crazy thoughts.
1: Um, that's my natural reaction to everything in life. If there's something where I have, if there's an issue that pops up or something that may be an issue, yeah. Um, if I have time to think about it and worry about it, yeah. then I worry about it. And mm-hmm. it's not until somebody comes and says, do you have any control over the situation? No, okay, then chill the hell out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. You know,
1: that or I logically talk myself out. Right. And logic is a big thing for me when it comes to, like I said, problems in my life, but mainly for tattooing. Um, tattooing for me is a lot of um, if-then equations.
0: Yeah. Like
1: the one class I took in Java coding way the hell back when, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of coding is based on if-then. And so tattooing for me is the same thing. If I'm working on a client and the ink isn't taking, like I'll run a line and wipe and half of the ink is under the skin, but I know I pierced the skin because I can see the irritation. Mm -hmm. It's what is the problem? Skin's not taking ink. Well, it could be this, 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 or this. Mm -hmm. And I can adjust three of them on the fly and then I'll lay another line and okay took or it didn't take okay that takes these three possibilities out now i'm left with these two i can make two adjustments here Mm -hmm. drop it and aligns fine right um same thing you can size people up and um i mean this isn't in a negative way but i mean you can tell generally the texture of somebody's skin if i need to turn the give of my machine up or down if they're Older, generally they have more frail skin, I need a softer hit from my machine, so I'll turn my machine down, the voltage down, my hand speed down, um, I'll adjust the execution of the tattoo and the way my tools perform. Right. Um, and I could be totally wrong, but you know, the majority of what you see is generally what you get. You right. know, if somebody comes in, they're super tan. Either your tat- they're not going to take care of your tattoo because they're going to go put it in the tanning bed. They really spend a lot of time in the sun. A tattooing them is going to be a bitch because their skin's tough as leather,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and B your tattoo is probably going to look like shit because they're going to go fishing the next. Day. So you can judge a lot of things by looking and thinking. Right. But um, color theory is the same thing, man. If and then, if you do this, will the color mud? Will it amplify it? Will it tone it down?
0: But um, sounds like all that yeah, has just come right. through practice and just just wrote working the same thing over and over and over and over and over again.
1: Practice and listening. That's what a lot of my apprentices don't do or are good at. And uh-huh. that comes back to how long your apprenticeship lasts mm-hmm. is your ability to absorb and tweak however you need to tweak it mm-hmm. so your brain can wrap around it.
0: Yeah. And
1: absorb concepts. Because a lot of color a lot of tattooing is conceptual. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was only I was never allowed in my mentor station while he was tattooing mm-hmm. but we had like little four-foot pony walls and I spent my uh, every day a whole year on the other side of that pony wall glued to that motherfucker just asking him questions mm-hmm. and um, you know how I learned things like I would watch him fixing up an old tattoo and there would be some yellow in there and he'd want to blend into the yellow and he'd blend with I don't know green or pick a color I don't remember what the color was but the existing tattoo, like I said, had that existing color and he would blend into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that spawned me to ask, you know, um, can you still blend a tattoo? How old is that tattoo? Five years, you can still blend into it? Yes, why? Well, because the ink stays stagnant and liquid inside of the skin. So it never dries up, quote upon quote.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just Ooh. things like that. And all of that stuff, you re- if you retain it, then you can apply it in the situations where you don't have somebody over your shoulder where you can ask questions to or hold your hand. Right. Now, you know, it's the same as anybody who, uh, like, I don't like you, man, you went to fucking, you went to God knows how many schools, have how many degrees, but all of, well, most of that knowledge that you were given in all of those classes leading up to your present state, mm-hmm. you've retained and can apply. You know, if you see somebody exhibiting this trait, you... You can reach into that big brain of yours and figure out, okay, it could be this, it could be that, it
0: could be this. That's generous of you. Um, but um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's also that, I mean, so using that logic though to kind of pull yourself, to to ground yourself in that which you already know, the stuff that you've practiced, the stuff that you've asked about, all the knowledge that, that you've achieved, or that you've, um, uh, I guess, earned, I should say, how do you keep yourself from going down the rabbit hole? You kind of talked about the two things, right? One, the rabbit hole is your natural go-to, but logic is the thing that that grounds you into kind of calming the heck down and being able to do, do your job effectively. How do you manage that interplay between the two or catching yourself in the rabbit hole and pulling yourself into logic? Is there something that you do, or is there something that has been helpful to bring in logic faster than just letting yourself spiral to hell?
1: Um, You're probably going to laugh at the answer because the first thing that popped into mind was quantitative and not qualitative. But my like the best answer I can give you is common sense. Okay, Common sense allows me to use either the logic we talked about or just general common sense of avoiding that rabbit hole everybody knows everybody who's done any kind of a drug that they weren't familiar with in their life that experimentation phase will blame it on Um, everybody who's done that knows that there's a trip that whatever drug it was if it was hallucinogenic whatever they've had a bad quote unquote bad trip Mm -hmm. where and then you know it's um, they'll tell pretty much the same story it crept up on me it dawned on me and then the rest the next seven hours sucked and then you start talking to the degenerates that I used to hang out with, you know, all the e tards and, you know, the ad- old acid trippers and shit like that. And I'll tell them my bad trip story and they'll just immediately trump it and just be like, ah, oh, dude, you only did it once, huh? It's like, yeah, I had a bad trip that one time. Only an idiot would do it again. Why would oh, I do that no, again? Man. And you always get the same answers from these idiots. Oh, no, man. You just got to learn to realize and recognize the onset of a bad trip. And then you got to have your friends work yourself out of it. Well, it's funny that a lot of these idiots say that because my bad trip on mushrooms in my one experience when I was alone, I didn't have that support system Mm
0: -hmm. out
1: here. I put myself or I was lucky enough to find myself in a shop with um, the two co-owners became my Florida family, man. We were so goddamn close and just because we click and we vibe, but I know, and it's been to- told to me verbatim that if I ever get upside down or sideways in a piece where I don't think it's gonna come out to the customer satisfaction or my satisfaction, mm-hmm. that I can always hand it off to them or have them come in and do like a side conference or if I'm totally fucked and forget the language, then they'll come in and they'll finish that because not only does the name of the shop and its reputation in the community, you know, that's huge to them because that's all of our livelihood, but they want to see me succeed because they know that if I have, Mm -hmm. they know me, and personally, if I have such a failure that I need to hand it off to somebody else, like an oh shit, let me talk to you for 30 minutes and kind of coach me through this one, Yeah, but like if I have to hand it off, that's going to screw me tremendously for weeks, if not months on mm-hmm. my confidence level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I said, it's that confidence level that you build that allows me to just bypass that little rabbit hole on things that I know I can destroy. But back to the community is I have that safety net and I know that I can, they won't be happy about it, but I can push my limits to the point where I have that backup if I need it.
0: Right. That back so pocket I confidence. That,
1: but Conversely, the common sense in me that was previously discussed. If I, I mean, now I have the experience to where if I land a piece that is a little beyond my means or pushing my limits, and I know that, mm-hmm. then I will do my due diligence and do my homework. I'll pull my reference, I'll get them approved by the client, and I'll sit there. And if it's really over my head, I'll run the whole process in a painting because mm-hmm. I run my paintings the same way I run my tattoos. I'll stencil out a painting transfer the stencil onto the canvas and then I start my painting process. Mm. I learned how to stencil for my painting from my tattoos. So if I think I'm in over my head, I'll stencil when I'm going to tattoo on my client and I'll paint it because not only do I get the muscle memory from painting the lines that now I'm going to go back and tattoo. Now I can build my color palette. Now I can work on my color theory and there's, if you blow it, man, you fucking wait a couple days and you, you let the oil dry and you paint over it. You know, there's, there's no real oopses in paintings. As Bob Ross says, it's only happy mistakes. <laughs> That's good, not so much. Um, but it's like I said, man, it's common sense to stop, realize that I am displaying signs of anxiety over this piece. I already took the deposit, so I'm committed to this gentleman or this woman. You know, um, I can't back out on it. Uh-huh. I can't transfer them over to my boss, who's $75 an hour more expensive than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to eat the difference because that's what I would do being a good human being having done that. Right. But I'll sit down if I'm a little, you know, weirded out and I'll wait till I get home and I'll chill out. I'll put some comfortable music on and I'll, like I said, I'll stencil all of it. I'll compile it just as I was going to tattoo it and I'll paint it.
0: Right. Right.
1: I mean, to me, that seems like common sense, but common sense ain't that common these days anymore, which is why I thought you would laugh at my answer.
0: <laughs> fair, um, fair, fair enough. Yeah, man.
1: I know. I mean, The humility in me that I wish more artists had is, um, the game is always changing. And there was always somebody, even if it was five minutes before you picked up a pencil, they already picked up a pencil. So their shit's gonna be stellar. Even if you grow at the same rate, you're never gonna surpass them or reach their level. Um, The humility in me allows me to recognize that. And so I'm constantly pushing in uncomfortable, which is becoming a new norm, which is good for me for progress because I have a way to handle You know, I put myself in that uncomfortable situation, and I realize it, but I did it intentionally because I know that I have at least the basic fundamentals to get me started, and then I can ask questions,
0: you know? Totally, yeah. Well, I I know in the sake of time, is there anything else that you if you could give advice to perhaps another tattoo artist or a guy that's just getting started a woman that's just getting started out in the business who's maybe having some jitters or some anxiety about this what is there any like takeaway that you could give them um as they're starting their journey
1: um yeah actually and i can even broaden on that since i like said i used to work in the trades but um Put yourself in a position before you begin that journey. Hold out for that really stellar artist that you admire or know somebody's reputation. Don't go in, you know, don't jump into apprenticeship with somebody who's got a habit that they're not willing to kick or that's going to impede them and impede you. Because the minute you get stagnant in this industry, in any industry, you're done, man. Because like I said, this industry moves at light speed. Mm -hmm. Um, So choose, I mean, like I said, I got told no and shut down a lot looking for my apprenticeship, but I just kept after it. And um, hold out, have standards to know what you want, because you will, for the first year, year and a half, you spend every waking moment around that person. You're going to start to emulate them, um, uh, their social patterns, you're going to emulate any habits that they have. So just don't set yourself up to fail. Okay, But um, don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Ask questions to the point where you piss him off. I I got sent home so many times because I wouldn't shut the fuck up. He's like, dude, just go outside, go smoke a cigarette or something because I need five minutes away from you. (laughs) But be that person because there's no stupid piece of information in that man's brain. It's just how you use it and absorb it and turn it around. Um, But when I was, um, I was self-taught my painting when i painted cars and stuff like that i used to do you know airbrush motorcycles and jackets and painful cars and stuff like that and i was self-taught in that industry um my dad was a weekend warrior you know he'd paint a boat every so often and teach me kind of the basics mm-hmm. um then when i jumped into it professionally you know i pussyfooted around a lot of where i got my training and all that fun shit because um a lot of it i read or i watched youtube videos that was in the youtube's infancy but um Any piece of information that I can find pertain to painting, um, chemicals, application, all that fun stuff. And I got, you know, I started in a job and I talked a really good game because I had all that theory. But the minute it came to nut up or shut up, you know, when they went, okay, here's a 10,000 pound hydraulic cylinder, paint it. And it all has to uh, pass quality control. Um, Go there were definitely some things that i ran into that i didn't you know pick up on youtube or something um but anytime paint would do something weird i would use that common sense that i referred to earlier i'd mm-hmm. go look at the paint can i'd look up the manufacturer and call their tech support hey this is what happened what was the cause of it and i remember this one time man they tech support couldn't even handle it so yeah. i was like how the fuck am i gonna figure this out it's not online i can't get tech support to help me huh so uh that common sense i was like i used to get out at three thirty, so i stopped by i got off work i stopped by a mini mart and i went to an old school auto uh body shop and it was at the time it was like four thirty, and i walked in i asked to see a manager and i was like look man uh i'm a painter i'm not in your trade i'm not competition but um it's almost five o'clock. Your boys are almost off. I have a couple questions on something that happened to me today, um, and I have a twelve pack right here. You, 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 you know, you picking up when I'm putting down, and they're like, "Oh hell yeah, come on back!" And so, you know, I, you, you know, we'd all have a couple beers, and I asked these old timers, you know, this is what happening. Oh man, that's called blushing. You know, I haven't seen that in a long time. That uh, that was some of my old school memories. And so, you know, it depends on how you approach it. But there's, if you ever have a question, there's always an answer out there. It's just
0: how you approach
1: getting that knowledge
0: right right you know oh man i i've i've so many more questions but we'll have to i'll have to jump in at another time we'll have to catch up again (laughs) oh yeah but all right rick well thank you so much now i'll i'll I'll, um off air i'll well i'll I'll ask you now but uh, if you could also email me some of the uh, contact information for your instagram and maybe other anywhere else but where where can people find information about you to see to see your work
1: um my instagram's open my instagram is rick underscore twisted love tattoos um or you could look up twisted love tattoos just on a web page we have our own web page and then that'll have links to all of our individual uh, instagram accounts it's awesome um yeah uh facebook is rick fitzwater but my instagram is where all my stuff goes my facebook's just you know keeping track of old
0: friends Fair enough. All right, Rick. Well, th- thanks so much for taking the time and uh, uh, keep it up, man. We'll do it. All right. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through that episode. That was, uh, again, as I said uh, at the top of the show, that was a really fun episode. And uh, I learned a lot from Rick. So uh, you can check him out over Instagram. Uh, I, I put his Instagram on the uh, on, on my Instagram post. It's also on the, on the uh um, uh, episode page uh, but again check his check out his work he does some fantastic work and uh, I, I, if you're if you're in the Jupiter Florida, Florida area uh, give him a call see if uh, you can work something out with him so uh, again everybody if you have if you know if you have any questions for Rick or questions about this series you can always go to fearcastpodcast.com or find me find me at Instagram uh, I'm Podcast over Instagram you can message me about this interview with Rick um, if you have any follow-up questions for Rick, I'm sure you'd be happy to be on to answer any questions that, that you might have. Um, uh, Additionally, everybody, if you have a question for a future episode, go over to Fearcast Podcast. You can also send me a message over over at Instagram. I'm more than happy to uh, receive those questions there. So, everybody, um, until next time, or or, excuse me, before I even get into that, please remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your treatment, uh, in your recovery, you can go over to FearCastPodcast.com, and there's going to be some information at the Find Help link. So... Uh, until everybody, uh, just, uh, until everybody, I, I just can't do this. It is super late, everybody, and it's just going to sound like this. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.